What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Up Before You podcast with me, Connor Warman. I want to take a moment to thank you all for taking the time out of your busy lives to listen to this show. Whether it's your first time or your 69th time listening, thank you for tuning in. If you like the show, please share with family and friends. And, as always, if you don't like the show, please share with me. If you have a moment, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating, write a little review, and hit that subscribe button. Lastly, go follow Up Before You on Instagram and Facebook and visit upbeforeyou.com to keep up to date with all the latest episodes, news, and updates surrounding the show. Thank you. My guest today is Wilson Horl. Wilson is a recovering drug and alcohol addict who is now big time into health and fitness. He is an avid CrossFitter who has also done a handful of 50-mile races. He also has a podcast called Lift Heavy Run Long that he does with former guest from episode 62, Von Rawls. I will put the link to their podcast in the show notes, so make sure to go check that out. And with that being said, buckle up and get ready for this one. Let's get on with the show. man hey what's going on not a whole lot how are you good how's uh so you know i did an episode with vaughn right i did i listened to it it was great <laughs> how's vaughn doing now he's doing good he's coming along you know this that whole rhabdo thing was really a, a scare but i think at the end of the day it's been a it's been an eye-opening experience for him yeah i, I keep up with him on like instagram and stuff and it seems like he's definitely making some progress well i think there's something to be said for it having to start at ground zero yeah. and working your way back from there. It's probably good for a lot of people to do that. Like relearn, like relearn some stuff. Like well, we talked stuff. about it a little bit last week on our podcast. I told him that maybe he could relate to where I come from with running because I've always been a crappy runner. You know, when I started running, I, I came in at 300 pounds. So I, I don't know what it's like to have any success yeah. other than my success being that I finish a race. Yeah. And so when you have that kind of mindset, you can't do anything but enjoy yourself. Mm. But when you get to a point where you're, you know, you start believing what everybody tells you or you start trying to live up to this standard, then it can become more stressful than it is pleasurable. Yeah. Is he able to do any sort of workouts yet? Yeah. He's, he's gotten back to where he's, you know, able to do some push-ups. He's able to do some push press. He's doing the, the regular workouts that are prescribed at the gym, he's just doing them at, at lower weights. Yeah. That's good. So, and, and he's bouncing back really quickly. Yeah. You know, the way that we all knew that he would. Yeah. But it won't be long until he's back to where he was, I don't believe. Yeah, last time when I, when I talked to him, he, was, he wasn't he was sure if he was ever going to get back to that point. Yeah, I think that's Vaughn just kind of worrying about that, but we all know, <laughs> everybody that knows Vaughn knows that he's going to get back to that point. Yeah. He won't let himself not get back to that yeah. point. So that's good. That's good. So, all right. Can you tell me about yourself growing up? Yeah. I grew up in Germantown, Tennessee, which is not too far from where I live now. Um, I was all ADD in all sports, I was all <laughs> athletics and, and no academics. Um, went to Mississippi State University for, for three years. You know, quit playing football, quit really doing anything, just started getting fat and drunk a lot. Um, and then 
basically, I didn't fail out of school, but I got to the point to where my my dad was like, you know, this isn't really working. You need to come on back. Uh, so I came home and just did the kind of lost, had worked all the time, but didn't really know what I was doing with myself and uh, kind of found, found my way in the landscape business and, and decided to start my own. Um, and I was starting that business in January of 2003. And in uh, December of 2002, I went to uh, Las Vegas and won $2.3 million on a quarter slot machine. And that basically took, you know, a guy who is all already in somewhat of a bit of trouble with drugs and alcohol uh, and just spiraled me into a complete, just a, a downward hole. $2.3 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Seemed like it at the time. <laughs> so going back a little bit, why did you go to Mississippi State and not Ole Miss? Man, I had a roommate and everything at UT. And so I was going to be a Vol, for sure. Uh But everybody from my high school was going to UT. Mm -hmm. And then one weekend, I went with a couple friends of mine to to Starkville. And I hadn't been there 24 hours before I called my mom. I was like, I I think I made a mistake. I I really enjoy these people. I really enjoy this place. Uh, So I didn't have time to really hate Ole Miss and love Mississippi State. I just found quickly that I enjoyed State. Yeah. Gotcha. And then the hatred for Ole Miss kind of built up throughout the years. Yeah. So you never finished there? I did not. I finished at University of Memphis. So you went to state for three years? I went to state for three years and went to University of Memphis for nine. Nine years? I I spent 12 years getting my undergrad. (laughs) That's got to be – my brother went to school for like seven years and and got his doctorate. That's like Tommy Boy. It's exactly like Tommy Boy. (laughs) And the reason for that is I just always took, you know, one class a semester. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things in my life that run parallel with Tommy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, why did you only take one class a semester? Because I was working. Oh. Uh, you know, and I'd start off maybe signing up for six or maybe nine. I would just take nine, nine classes and, you know, undoubtedly it'd be, the workload would be just be too hard. Mm. I've always worked really hard, you know, so I would be working – 50, 60 hours a week and trying to go to school after I got done, you know, running a weed eater for 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. wasn't really the most conducive thing for somebody who didn't care about education to begin with. Yeah. So did your problem, like, because you mentioned kind of like a drinking and a drug problem, did that kind of just start, like, in college, just like kind of how people just drink in school, like normally? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I like to drink in, in high school and, you know, the field party on the weekends kind of thing and uh, got busted a couple times and I would clean myself up and and act right and then got to college and you know would do just like everybody else i thought i felt like you know just drank thursdays through sundays and um you know didn't really see it to be that much of a problem then the weekends became you know a few pills got thrown in here and there and every once in a while some coke or whatever but you know here again i went to work every day so i i wouldn't tell myself that i was like i can't be an alcoholic you know alcoholics don't go to bed on time and wake up early yeah so okay so that's how it started i guess yeah. right and then when did like in college did anybody ever tell you like that you had a problem not uh not directly or not anyone who people would tell me that i had a problem but i would just kind of blow them off like you know they're just they just don't have any fun 
Yeah. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of people telling me I had a problem. I didn't have like behavioral. I wouldn't get drunk and just act like a complete lunatic. Uh, the problem really kicked in when I started taking uh, pain pills. And I always took pain pills if they were around, but I didn't really know what they were. And ironically enough, when I got home from Las Vegas, within like two weeks, uh, I didn't have anything to do because my business wasn't starting for like another six weeks. And so I went to work for a guy making $10 an hour painting, rolling paint. And he gave me some lore tabs, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I, I need some more of those. You know, and so then the lore tabs just went to, Percocet and Oxycontin, and then I started taking amphetamines so that I'd stay up and buy them so I could get down. And, you know, it just progressed to, you know, I started drinking at 5 a.m. every morning and stopped around, you know, 9 or 10 at night. Jeez. So what were you doing in Vegas in the first place? Like, were you there with friends or something? My cousin had made it to the world championship of the rodeo. He's a steer wrestler. (laughs) So I was down there with family, wasn't down there to gamble or party or anything just down there to kind of watch that and it just turned into a party so you weren't like a big like cards player or anything like that no no i mean i've always enjoyed going to the casinos just to because i like drinking you know and it just gives you something to do but i've of all the problems that i've i've been addicted to just about everything that i've ever enjoyed on some level and for whatever reason uh cards and casinos have have not been one of those things Mm -hmm. So how long did it take like to win this two point three million? Like was it like one of your first tries? Pretty much, yeah. I um, that morning I woke up and was playing the nickel slots with my mom, mm-hmm. and I won like this. I had this seventeen dollar voucher. Back then it was like a receipt that came out, and you could that receipt in like you would a five dollar bill. Mm-hmm. And I'd been out out shopping with my mom and my aunt and got tired and said, I'm going to go back to the hotel. And I couldn't decide. I had like $300 in my bank account, like Mm -hmm. to my name. And I couldn't decide if I wanted to, you know, take $100 out and play or if I just need to go take a nap and, you know, wake back up a little bit later. But I thought maybe I'll be able to get, you know, another, I'll have a beer before I go to sleep. And so I was just kind of hanging out, pressing buttons, hoping that the waitress would come around. And I was playing on that $17 voucher and hitting three quarters at a time. And all of a sudden, it stuck. And that was it. So, like, what was going through your head when you won? Well, I didn't understand the process. You know, you think that all these buzzers and whistles and everything would go off, and none of that happened. I could have just as easily gotten up and walked away. You know, just where the little place where it says insert coin, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like flashing blue. Yeah. That just said see attendant. And so all the, the numbers that were spinning, the progressive machine, had had froze up. Yeah. And for all I knew, it was, you know, $2,300 or $23,000. I didn't have the wherewithal to even know, like, I'm playing a $2.3 million machine. Mm-hmm. And I asked the, the waitress, I said, is that my money? She's like, I think so, but I'm not sure. Let me go check. And she went and got somebody, and it wasn't five minutes before, just like in the movies, the men in suits were there shaking my hand and letting me know that you know they couldn't guarantee me that I'd won that money. They had to review the security films and make sure my you know, uncle or something wasn't around there screwing with the machine beforehand. And uh, they, the, the casinos don't own those slot machines. Somebody else, another company does. 
So they had to get somebody to come verify it from there. And, you know, in the meantime, they're roping off with caution tape, you know, where, where I'm standing and people are like giving me hooks and stuff. And he's like, you know, you can, you can enjoy this or we can put you up in one of these, um, you know, bars by yourself and, and let you hang out there. And I said, well, I'll do that. So do they like come out like with just cash? Like, two- No, no, they, it took, I had the option of taking the one lump sum, which was going to be 2%, 2% off the net present value or getting paid uh, over the course of 20 years. So what'd you pick? I took the lump sum. Because if that company would have gone through bankruptcy or something like that, then I, I would have lost that money, which I may, I managed to lose that money on my own. It didn't take the company going bankrupt for <laughs> me to lose it. But, uh, yeah, I, I took the lump sum, but they wrote me a check on the spot for like $123,000, like my first payment, whatever that was going to be. That's crazy. Like, what did It you, was crazy. What did you tell your family when – like, what did you say? Well, my, my mom came in and, and, you know, sat down. She thought I just assumed I'd been arrested, which was a pretty good assumption uh, <laughs> on a lot of levels. And, you know, they let her in. And, and we just kind of celebrated for a while, waiting for, you know, to get the confirmation that we had won. And they asked us. They, they He asked me what you want. And I said, you know, I'll take a, a pack of smokes and a Bud Light would be great. And he's like, man, I'll get you a carton if you want. I said, no, nah, you know, my mom doesn't like to see me smoke. Just get me a pack if you would. And then my mom got there and he was like, what, you know, what would you like? She's like, I would love some popcorn if y'all have popcorn. And he said, yeah, we can do popcorn. My aunt was like, do y'all have any Pringles? She's like, he's like, yeah, we got Pringles. And he's like, you know, we got people that come in here and win $2,000 and they're demanding steak dinners and free hotels. And mm-hmm. y'all want popcorn and Pringles. So we're kind of, you know, looking like the... Beverly Hillbillies up in there. Mm-hmm. So how old were you at this time? I was 23. 23 and you just won 2.3 million. That's, That's insane. Right. Yeah, more money than I could ever possibly spend in my entire life. I was sure of that. Did you have any plan of what you wanted to do with it? The only thing that I planned on was not being one of those guys that you see on, on TV that win all that money and then they spend it all. Uh, that was my only plan. Like it wasn't going to change me a bit. I was sure of that. Like I was going to continue to, to have my own business and I was going to be successful and you know, life was going to be good, but I I wasn't planning on utilizing it for anything other than savings and, and dispersing out throughout my family. But that didn't happen. None of that happened. Well, I I dispersed it out between my family. The, the $2.3 million when I took the lump sum and the two, the two percent off the net present value came out to one point six million dollars, which after taxes turned out to be one point one million dollars. After I gave money throughout my family, I, I had six to seven hundred thousand dollars cash to spend. I mean, still a lot of money. Still a lot of money, absolutely, but not a lot of money. Not enough money to just retire and live on yeah. a yacht. So would you say that winning that money kind of accelerated this like addiction you had going on and stuff? Absolutely, yeah. So and I think that's a blessing that it did. A blessing it did do that? Yes. Why, why do you say that? Because I think I probably continue, could have continued on at my pace of you know, alcoholism or problem drinking or whatever you'd want to call it. I think I could have convinced myself that that was okay. 
uh, and led a life of just kind of drudgery and half happiness and zero awareness and just kind of gotten by the way that I think a lot of people probably get by with and without alcohol. So when you got home from Vegas, what happened? When I got home, I, I got a lot of questions on some level that I had been robbed of my identity. You know, I, I felt like I was going to make something of myself. I wanted to make something of myself. And then I felt like I, I'm a naturally insecure person. So I, I was telling myself, like, I, I want to do all these things and be all, all of this to all these people. And now I've won all that money, which just makes me look like a big fraud. You know, like who couldn't be successful when you give him $2 million? Yeah. If he's not successful, then he's clearly a loser. And if he is successful, well, it's just because he got $2 million. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of angry about that on some level, which is really strange. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you you didn't really, like, have a drinking or drug problem yet? It was still kind of developing? It was developing for sure. So then what? in terms of that, kind of what happened next after Vegas? Um, it was it was when I started, you know, 10 days after I got home, I, I worked with that guy who gave me the lore tabs, and then I would kind of go through spells of, of, like, taking a bunch of lore tabs, and then I'd get off them for a little bit, and then take them and get off of them. What is a, what is a lore tab? It's a pain pill. Okay. Um, it's an opiate. Okay. You know, the same, same class, I guess. I'm not a pharmacist. Oddly enough, my wife is, but, um, you know, there's... There's lower tabs and Percocets and Oxycontin and, mm-hmm. you know, just feel-good pills. Yeah. Um, gotcha. And I started taking those to the point of, you know, I would take 10 or 12 of those a day and I would I would nod off. You know, like heroin addicts will, will nod off when they're, you know, in their zone. And so it might, to combat that, instead of stopping taking pills, I started taking amphetamines to keep myself up, just Adderall, Ritalin that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would take so much of that that I couldn't sleep at night. So I started taking Valium to bring me down. What's Valium? A Valium is just a, a downer, a muscle relaxer. So you were just in this cycle of like taking these three things just to keep yourself going? Yeah. And, and I never I never took pills without drinking. So I was always drinking. You know, mm-hmm. I started drinking, like I said, 5 a.m. is when I would I'd put vodka in my coffee. Um or drank screwdrivers, you know, until about, I didn't think it was socially acceptable to drink beer until about noon, so I would make sure not to not to drink beer until about then. Uh, you know, and, and then after about probably six or seven years of that, uh, I, I started worrying that I have a problem. And then when I started trying to do something about the problem, it just got worse and worse. So did anybody ever catch you drinking during the day? Like, what no. are you doing? No? Not that I can think of. Um, not not that didn't know that I drank all day. Yeah. You know, I was in a, I was in an environment where that was somewhat acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. the people that knew me knew the kind of guy that I was, and it was never odd for me to be drinking at 8 o'clock in the morning. But it was always expected that I would be at work and do my stuff, too. Yeah. And that's, you know, you hear about, you hear about people who are, functioning alcoholics and and they are until you stop functioning yeah so you mentioned that every time you tried to kind of fix it it got worse like yeah what what do you mean by that well 
every time I was going to stop, well, that meant that it was my last day to do it. So since it's my last day to do it, then, you know, I want to go ahead and do it big. It's like starting a diet on Monday. <laughs> so that weekend you're going to go to Crystal and, yeah. you know, just kill yourself there. Yep. It's no different than that, only every day. Yeah. So you were going through this all the time. All the time. All the time. And I would go through periods where I would, you know, decide I'm not going to do it. And I would go through the withdrawals. I'd go for 10 or 12 days of not having the pills. And I don't know, if you don't know anything about that, that's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare to go through the withdrawal, opiate withdrawals. Really? Uh, and then ultimately I'd always break, you know, and go back to yeah. go back to doing what I was doing. So what, it's just really hard to get off of them once you start? It's just so sick. You know, it's just a lot of a lot of bodily functions that nobody wants to have, a lot of sweating, shivering, shaking, throwing up. That's terrible. I mean, you can't get yourself out of bed to to go get a glass of water, not that you want to drink it. Wow. I mean, you just feel horrible. So were you married at this time? I was. When did you get married? I got married, I guess, probably about a year and a half after I got back from Las Vegas. So did she have any idea about any of these problems? I, I it would be safe to say yes. Yeah. So what, like, what does she think? Uh, I'm not real sure. I, I, you know, being a being the mother of my children and an ex-wife, I probably don't. You know, I don't really want to get into what she thought or you know yeah. any of her opinions on things. Yeah. Okay. So when did you when did you kind of like hit rock bottom? I guess. I hit rock bottom on. Uh, six days before the 4th of July of 2011. Kind of, okay, so kind of like what happened then? I was, I, I'd gotten to a point to where I was throwing up about every three or four hours because, and I, I, I had to take so many pills to keep myself from getting sick that it would make me sick. Mm-hmm. And then after I got sick, I knew that I had to, to get more drugs and alcohol into my body or I, I would get sick. Yeah. So I'm like this, I'm, I'm in this cycle, mm-hmm. you know, where I have to just keep rebooting. Uh, and my Percocet supply had, had run dry, so I've got to take lower tabs. So, you know, they're just a lesser strength uh, that have a lot more acetaminophen in them. So I'm taking, you know... 15, 17 lower tabs at a time, you know, just a handful of them, and that's making me ill. And I ran out of my uh, out of my Adderall, so I was just tired and depressed. My, my wife had taken the kids, and I was by myself, and I just, you know, ultimately wound up sleeping with the, the gun next to me and, you know, had it in my mouth and up to my head and, and just trying to think of ways to, to end it. Um, and I just passed out that night and woke up the next morning with that gun in my hand and you know just kind of had a moment and drove myself to to lakeside wow and then from there did you were you able to just stop completely i stayed in lakeside for six days and, and checked out and i didn't even make it out of the parking lot before i had a mouthful of peer, pills and was drinking again wow. um and, and and left lakeside telling myself like i'm never gonna drink again i'm never i'm not doing any of this stuff anymore and i got out there and i had like you know 100 lower tabs in the console of my truck and i had a 24 ounce budweiser that i had 
been drinking when I drove myself up there that had been sitting sitting open in my truck for six days in July temperature. Uh, so it was just this hot, nasty, yeah. you know, but I was still like, yeah, I got to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I took those pills, started drinking, went across the street, got some more beer and continued drinking. And two days later I was back in treatment again. And I don't know what stuck the next time. I guess I was just so tired of doing what I was doing. And so just, just worn out, you know, that I had to, it was time to get to work and get sober. Yeah. So like for people that they've never been through that, like it's really hard to understand, I guess, like how hard that is. How, was, is that probably the hardest thing you've ever done is get sober? Easily. Without question. There's, there's nothing that it even compares to how difficult of a journey it's been to, to get sober and the hardest thing besides that that i've ever done is has been to stay sober which is nothing in comparison to to getting sober yeah so i'm sure like early on you had a lot of withdrawals and kind of like wanting to like go back and do it again do you ever get that at all anymore yeah every day really Um, there's at least a a moment where i think it would be nice you know it's it's not a I, i don't sit on my hands you know trying to tell myself not to do it but there's I think about it, but I also have tools to combat that. I stay plugged into my 12-step program. I'm active in recovery. You know, I use CrossFit, and I use the, you know, the the running community to to help me get through those things. Yeah, that's every day. That's crazy. It's it's what I am. You know, it's in my it's in my fabric. I don't mm-hmm. know what makes me different than than other people, but. You know, people like us that do what we do, we we do that, and it's hard for us not to. So during this time when you were kind of just like taking these pills and drinking every day, what was life like from like a health and a fitness standpoint? Man, I can't believe that I lived through it. Really, I mean, it it was for for eight years. If it didn't come from a drug dealer or a gas station, it didn't go in my system. Like everything that I ate was, you know, I worked hard. I worked out in the heat, in the sun. I drank alcohol and I ate fried stuff from gas stations every day. Uh, There was no, I had a couple periods where I would join a gym. And, you know, I I can remember joining the gym about 20 minutes down the street, 30 minutes down the street. And I would wake up and put vodka in my full throttle. And I would take six Percocet and two of my uh, Adderall and go up and get on the treadmill. And, you know, I I would smoke three or four cigarettes on the way up to the gym and get on the treadmill, run for, uh, you know, a couple miles or whatever it was and lift a couple weights and then get some more energy drinks and put my vodka in them and go on about my day. You know, that would last maybe a week or so. Yeah. But, you know, I couldn't even go to a treadmill without having something to drink Mm. so did you like put on a lot of weight during this time or did you get really skinny i put on a lot more weight after i got sober than i did when i was you know the the speed helps speed helps to keep weight off yeah because i don't don't people that are kind of like addicted to that kind of stuff usually like lose weight it kind of depends i mean there's there's some you know heavy set crack smokers out there you know you can't say for sure what's what's going to happen um but i was i was lighter and leaner when I was deep in my addiction than I 
was when I when I got sober. Mm. But I was I was also you know severely bloated and just like mm. greasy, nasty, unhealthy looking. Yeah. So then, why did you put on weight after you got clean? Well, there's a lot of you know I could speculate a lot of different reasons, um, but the primary reason would just be eating a bunch of crap you know you you drink alcohol and it metabolizes into sugar and you take that alcohol when as an alcoholic i never ate sweets i didn't care anything about cake or ice cream or uh, really food for that matter Mm -hmm. and then you sober up and and you take away that that sugar and all you have is depression and time and so there's nothing else to do but just eat and people like me addicts we don't do we don't eat little slivers of cake. You know, we eat cakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we do things to the extreme. Yeah. You know, I eat myself sick. And that's what I did. I just laid in bed and, you know, when I wasn't crying, I was eating. Yeah. So then um, when did you find, like, CrossFit and running and stuff? Uh, it was probably a good – it was a good probably eight months to a year before I could even really get out of bed and, and – function in any kind of normal way um and so I, I found i guess i found i started going to like my old church gym and joined a, a 24-hour gym probably 10 months into my sobriety mm-hmm. um and then I, I started getting on the treadmill there and, and running a little bit and uh, sort of getting into that and then i joined uh i, I searched for you know, CrossFit gyms and Olive Branch, and I found Olive Branch CrossFit, and that was probably about about 18 months into getting sober, mm-hmm. and that's when it all turned around. So, how did you like? How did you find CrossFit spe- specifically? I had a friend of mine from Atlanta that started doing CrossFit way back in like 2006, yeah. or whenever it, it uh-huh. originally started, and I thought this guy's a clown. Like I'm watching him doing these CrossFit videos, and he was the first person that I ever heard of ordering like an egg white biscuit. Yeah. I was like, why would anybody care about their health enough to? That's <laughs> this guy's like whacked out. He's one of my best friends, but it didn't make any sense to me. And I saw him doing these, you know, weird looking pull ups, and him and his friend were so happy and so healthy, and it just made me sick. <laughs> And then when I got sober, I was like, yeah, man, what was that stuff that you were talking about? And, uh, you know, he's talking about CrossFit, and I I drank the Kool-Aid, man. Yeah, right away? Right away, first day. I walked in there. There's a there's a lady named Laura, Laura Pinkley. Uh, Laura Pinkley and her husband, Paul. And <clears throat> just a handful, there was about four of us there that day, Josh Barwasser and John Brown and man they they made it clear that things could be different and things would be different if i got it out with them and they weren't lying and i'm forever in debt to them yeah so when was this what year who i would say this was 2014 yeah maybe late 2013 mm-hmm. something like that so five you, years ago did you meet vaughn right away then too yeah yeah was he he was an owner right he still is correct but he coached the morning classes <clears throat> so i i was going in the afternoon so it was a little bit before i, I met him but i'd heard of vaughn mm-hmm. and what i'd heard about vaughn was that he did these long races yeah 
and I also heard that he did a 50-mile race, and I didn't even know people ran 50. I didn't know it was humanly possible to run 50 miles. I, I swear to God, I, yeah. I didn't know that a person had ever done that, let alone that people do that. Mm-hmm. So then I heard about this, you know, lift heavy, run long that he was a part of. And I was like, man, that's a really cool sounding thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it is, but I like the sound of it. Yeah. This was pre-podcast, right? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. This was pre anything. This yeah. was, this was when I, when life was just starting to take shape at all. And this was just this is like at the time with Lift Heavy Run Long when he just had his like blog or whatever, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. He was he he had his blog. He had just started Olive Branch CrossFit within mm-hmm. within months. I oh, probably yeah. joined the gym within two months of Olive Branch CrossFit uh, opening up. And the people that started Olive Branch CrossFit were like one family who were you know, meeting at the Olive Branch Park mm-hmm. and doing workouts while they found their place and while they got it up and running. So it was, you know, it was like the perfect storm for the the whole CrossFit family yeah. thing. I always think those are like the coolest stories. Like this started in a park or this started in such and such's garage. Like those are the coolest CrossFit stories, I think. Well, and being able to watch this gym go from, you know, we had a couple bars they had a, a right, you know, some some racks to do pull ups, but you know, if we were going to do something, we we're going to share it. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there's going to be one one bike, one rower, maybe two rowers. Yeah. You, know, you just had to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think with CrossFit too, like everybody always starts out hating it and making fun of it until you do it, then you love it. Yeah, and how can you not make fun of it? You know, yeah, right. there's a side of me that's like. I I understand more the CrossFit haters than I can understand the the CrossFit lovers. Yeah. You know, from the outside in, it's terribly obnoxious. Yeah. But on the same token, man, I owe my life to these people. Yeah, it's it's amazing, really. Like the whole community aspect of it is amazing. It's amazing. Like the it's, yeah, the the types of people and the connections you make and the friendships are you can't really get it anywhere else. Nope, and you can't convince anybody of what it is. I mean, it's just too much to try to explain to somebody. You know, the only thing I can tell somebody is you got to try it. Yeah, but it is you funny, know. though. I even like to make fun of myself for doing it. <laughs> yeah, you have to. And if you don't, you'll make yourself crazy. <laughs> so uh, back to running. Have you? Did you ever end up running a 50-miler or anything like that? Yeah, I've ran, I guess, probably four of them. Really? Uh, yeah. Any hundreds? I have not. You, I have not gone there. Is that on the agenda? I don't think so, man. They, I, I've got. There's been a a group of people who have tried to put the squeeze on me um, to do that, but I think it's probably because they just want the entertainment of you know <laughs> watching a 260 pound man drop dead uh, in the middle of a trail run. I just don't think I can handle it, man. Yeah. So when did you decide you wanted to do a 50 miler? Right away. Before right away. I ever ran a 5k. Really? That's how I do everything, man. You know, I was just like, oh, I want to be part of this, you know, 50-mile, 400 deadlift club. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And I remember the guy that was telling me about Vaughn, John Brown, I said, what kind of speed does Vaughn run these races at? And he was like, you know, it's a trail, so it's going to be slower. You know, and it's 50 miles, so it's going to be a little bit slower. I, I don't know, probably, you know, 12 and a half minutes, something like that, 12 and a half minute mile. And 
you know, here I am. I'm like, I can run a 12 and a half minute mile. <laughs> you know, I can't run two of them, but I yeah. can run one. So I might as well sign up for 50. Um, so then I met Vaughn and, and I start running with him and he gets me to, to 10 miles. I, I take his running course, um, about pose running and, you know, learn to run. And, you know, it just became, it just became a thing, you know, it became something I, I wanted to do a 50 K and I wanted to do a 50 miler. Yeah. So you kind of just jumped right into it then. Totally. So what was that first one like? The first 50 miler? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was bad, man. They're all bad. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't prepare myself for these things. I don't train for them. I don't, I mean, I, I train, I train a lot. I do a lot of CrossFit. I, I run on occasion, but I don't put in the running miles that somebody should put in to, to run those kind of distances. But on the same token, like I said before, my only expectation is to, to cross the finish line. Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking for is a long day of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, other people have better things to do. Yeah. You know, they can finish and, and, and drink the rest of the day. I can't do that. Yeah. Where was the first one? Uh, Tunnel Hill. Tunnel yeah. Hill 50 miler in Vienna, Illinois, which is uh, perfectly flat, light crushed gravel. Um, so it's as, if you're going to call a 50 miler easy, then that would be, you know, an, an easy place to do it. Is that way down in southern Illinois? I don't know, man. My geography is horrible. <laughs> we just get in the car and we drive for like yeah. four hours. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, so so what kind of stuff are you doing now then in, at the gym and stuff and CrossFit? You know, the same kind of stuff. It all – it constantly cycles, you know, over what I'm interested in. Uh-huh. You know, this – the lift heavy run long, I got into the – to the lift heavy run long because of the the people that i found in crossfit that bled into the people that i found in in trail running yeah and ultra running and it seems to me that there's sort of there's always been a divide that you know you you either crossfit or you run but you're not going to do both yeah and each of the camps think that they know better than the other mm. when i was graciously accepted into both of them you know, my, I walked in completely out of shape, completely overweight, uh, you know, wasn't capable of doing much of anything, and the CrossFit community embraced me. I went out to learn to run completely out of shape, completely overweight, and the, the trail running com- community embraced me. And so I felt like we need, I need these people together. You know, I need all these people in my life, and I need them in my life together. Uh, and fortunately, I think that's been what's kept the the whole workout and fitness thing fresh for me yep because i'll you know like i said when i do something i grab onto it full speed so i decide i i get tired of squatting i don't want to do crossfit anymore my back hurts i'm tired of doing the same old thing i'm just sick of it so i get into running and i and i run all the time and then i'll decide i don't want to do that and i'll come back to crossfit and i'll have a workout and there's some squats or some deadlifts and i'm like man i want a deadlift like all the time now yeah. That's what I want to do. So I'm always like cycling on and off some kind of interest. And I think that's the difference. And I think that's the, that's the benefit of having, I don't want to call it multi-sport, but being open to different brands of fitness. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's a good way to keep it fresh too. 
for sure. So how did you like? How did you get into the podcast then with Vaughn? Man, that's a good question. We he had he was working for Barbell Shrugged, and okay. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they I mean they had the number one yeah. fitness podcast in the world, They're big yeah uh, for you know three or four years. And Vaughn worked for them, and he had a microphone, and I had this shop. And he's like, well, we should start. I guess he interviewed me and a couple of other people from the gym about Olive Branch CrossFit, and we were gonna. He was gonna make that a thing, but you know how this goes. You know, life gets in the way, and you know he didn't really keep up with that. And so I got in with Lift Heavy Run Long, and he said we should podcast. And I was like, well, let's start doing it. And like I said, once I latch on to something, I'm like, well, we got to do it. We got to do it often. Like we should do this and then we started getting guests and then we started buying equipment and then we started you know it just went up and up and up and up um and here we are 100 and you know 55 episodes later yeah so do you got do you see yourself like doing this for years to come uh i don't really see myself doing anything for for very long just because i don't like to look that far ahead yeah yeah just the fact that my life is evolved in so many ways and you know the the idea of me planning anything it just seems kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. i would like to think so but then again everything that i do i think i'm going to do forever all the time yeah and then you know i see another squirrel and i'm off in a different direction <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you that i get a lot of fulfillment from it yeah i get a lot of fulfillment in the people that that listen to it uh that are inspired by it that are you know comfortable getting into fitness because of you know whatever they they hear or don't hear from us um and if nothing else i get a lot of enjoyment out of you know having an hour with my wife and vaughn and brian swanson and just getting to enjoy their company yeah i think that's really cool how it's for you guys like just hanging out and i do too and i think it's really important to have human social interaction. Sure. You know, I, I can get caught up in, in just texting people and, uh, you know, this this forces us to come together and kind of, you know, visit. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Yeah, so what would you say, like, the mission is, like, with the podcast? Like, what are you trying to do? You know, our tagline is to inspire and be inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that the mission, selfishly, is to help me stay sober, help me stay fulfilled, and, and help me, you know, keep a good connection with my with my friends but i think ultimately the the big picture is i want people to see fitness from a different angle you know when i came into to fitness i was scared to death man i was scared to death that everybody was gonna have six pack abs and run a four minute mile and you know that i was just walking into this whole competitive environment and it was very comforting for me to to see that the realness that's in both the running community and the CrossFit community. Mm. And I want other people to see that. You know, I've always, I, I say all the time that I don't want to be positioned as an expert in anything. I don't want to ever come across like I know anything about nothing because I really don't. Um, but what I want people to hear is, you know, Vaughn's an athlete. My wife is much more athletic than I am. Swanson is much more athletic than I am. Yeah. But but we all travel together. We all do the same things. We have the same interests. And I want listeners to see that. 
that you know your your level of fitness doesn't have to stop you from playing in the sand, same sandbox as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your wife's like a big time runner, isn't she? She she does about the same. I mean, she's a very skilled runner, yeah. but she doesn't do a lot of running. Mm-hmm. She's one of those. She's a she's a beast, man. I mean, as as far as toughness goes, there's nobody tougher than mm-hmm. than she is. Yeah, and so she'll. If somebody says let's sign up for a fifty mile race, she'll sign up. She'll just go run it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, you brought up an interesting point in there too about like kind of like seeing fitness from a different perspective. Because I think it's really powerful, like to see it kind of from a different point of view versus like always seeing it from like the top guys and the most ripped guys that you kind of expect. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, and, and people need to believe that and, and know little, that can, that they're, they're in the minority. Yeah, it can be a little more relatable and stuff like that for some people because it's scary for a lot of people that will get walk into the gym and they think about high school you know it's like walking into a locker room for your <laughs> first day when you've never been there and you, you think that somebody's gonna you know dip your head in the toilet and give you a swirly or something uh and and it's not it's a bunch of there's some really really fit people and some the really struggling overweight people and some really middle of the road people and that's no different than than just life, man. I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart, but take a look around. A lot of different folks. It's true. I, I'm not a big fan of Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> well, take a look at Target, wherever you are. I'm just saying, like, you know, as a population, we got yeah. a lot of different size yeah, people. Yeah. And, and CrossFit and running is not limited to only the, the most well-put-together fit yeah. people. So what's really cool about CrossFit is, like, so for me, I do it, my parents do it, and my grandparents do it. So oh really? The five of us can be in a room at the, and do the, be doing the same workout at the same time. Which is oh man, cool. that's so good. Which is pretty awesome, I think. It's it's completely awesome, and and that's another thing that would be hard to convey to somebody else who doesn't understand it. My our children just started doing CrossFit for kids. Yeah. Six weeks ago, five weeks ago during the summer, and just watching them become who they are. You know, and have coaches tell them who they are and learn about themselves and their limits. And, you know, for us to have things to talk about and, you know, everybody come home excited and full of endorphins and, you know, showing each other movements. And, you know, it's just a family. It's mm-hmm. a family thing. Yeah, for sure. So are, do you do anything kind of like to help people who are similar to you, kind of like addicts? Like do you, do you mentor people, anything like that? I do. I stay as plugged in to the recovery community as as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, my 12-step program allows me the opportunity to, to speak at different um, venues and have different opportunities to speak. I, I, I sponsor people through a program. Um, you know, I, I have people that I talk to every day, and they need me, and I need them. Yeah. So, yeah, so you think, like, that kind of stuff helps you just as much as it can help someone else? Oh man, absolutely! Yeah. I, I'm dead in the water if I don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't have the people that, if I don't get to see and be reminded of what I am, uh, you know, I forget. Yeah. So I know you kind of said you don't like to think ahead, but do you have anything like any kind of goals, or what does the future hold? Man, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I get beaten up about this this hundred mile thing uh, often enough to where I I tell people that. If it kicks in, 
and I decide that's something that I want to do, then then that'll be the thing that I want to do, but I can't quite get it to kick in. And I don't have control over when something like that hits me, but I could see that happening at some point uh, down the line. But until then, you know, my, my goals are, are generally just to, to stay sober, you know, keep myself open to, to people I may be able to help and those that may be able to help me and, and keep meeting people. And, you know, I'm, I enjoy the human connection more than I do anything else that comes from, from CrossFit or running or, you know, the podcast. So, you know, that's really important to me. And I, I think that it's easy to get away from that and get busy and forget that, you know, having conversation with, with other people is an important aspect of, of my life. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, thanks for coming out today and doing this on such short notice. Um, I'm honored that you would have me on. This is a lot of fun for yeah. me, and, and it's good for me, and I appreciate you asking me to do it. Yeah, and thanks for sharing your story. I know it probably can be hard, but, yeah, thanks. It's really awesome. Always happy to do it. Yeah, so, all right. All right, Connor. Take yep, care, buddy. Yep, me too. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed Episode 69 of this show. We'll see you next time on the Up Before You podcast. Have a great day.